Welcome to this episode of Clinically Press. This is episode four for us, and this one features Kevin Schultz, uh, sports performance coach at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. He's a good friend of ours. Uh, we all had interaction and worked with him when we were at UWL together. Uh, he's a great friend and a great sports performance coach. Uh, we are lucky enough to shoot this on location in Madison um, at their Olympic uh, weight uh, room uh, in Kevin's office, and it is quite impressive since I was there several years ago. Uh, it's covered a variety of topics in this one, including training, uh, jobs that he's had, what he's learned from that. We always got to talk books. Uh, some of the ones that he's read are quite interesting, um, and it covers a wide spectrum. Um, and we also delved into some career advice, which is a great episode for anybody looking to go into a career of performance and or coaching. Uh, at the release of this, we have two weeks left on our Kickstarter, so please check us out at clinicallypress.com uh, for a link to that if you feel the need to check it out and possibly help us out as we try and improve what we're doing with the show. Uh, we have some great giveaways for different price points, stickers and mobility guides, t-shirts, which are fantastically comfortable, um, and also some different giveaways in terms of nutritional analysis, movement screening, and soft tissue work. So please give that a check out. All new episodes are on clinicallypress.com, YouTube, SoundCloud, and uh, as always on iTunes. Uh, we hope you enjoy the show and continue to check us out. Welcome to this episode of Clinically Press. We're here at UW-Madison in the Athletic Center, uh, here with Kevin Schultz. Um, he is the Director of Olympic Sports for Strength and Conditioning. Is yep. that about, about right? right. Titles. I knew. Yeah. Uh, just a little background on him. He was a UWL football player, uh, did your undergrad there, and ended your grad school, yep. but in the middle of that went out to Carnegie Mellon. Uh, after grad school went out after, to Carnegie After Mellon, grad yeah. school. Came back to UWL as an SPC director and football coach. Um, has moved down to Madison now, and then, to much of these guys' surprise, we're almost an Olympic bobsledder. Almost. Almost. I mean, they <laughs> thought that was kind of interesting. Far so, from, um, closer than some. other random stuff I had. You did play semi-pro football for like a season. Technically, it would be considered semi-pro. It was more like beer league, bar league football. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. But along with that, I was going to go and try and list all your certifications, but didn't even bother because I don't think I could get through all of them. It, so to be honest, is that something you want to touch on? I don't know how many are still actually like up to date. And oh, that's true. These CEUs kind of come and pass and membership due fees and stuff like that. So I can talk about what I've done before. Yeah, if you want to just run through some of those because I know you've done a little bit of absolutely everything. Yeah, you know, a lot of it is the, the jack-of-all-trades type model, I guess, especially early on, going through things, understanding your limitations and the education that you get, especially, like, within strength conditioning. Like, it's not like athletic training or chiropractic where you get in, enrolled in a, a specific course program and you just kind of go through it and you get done, you get your certification, your licensure, and you're like, yes, I'm an athletic trainer. Oh, all right, I'm a chiropractor now. This is great. As a strength coach, you kind of have to take a lot of different routes to get there. And so in order to kind of balance myself out and be well-rounded, certifications really kind of seem to make a lot of sense to me. And, you know, at the time when I was younger, you know, I, going to conferences and conventions and networking never really appealed to me because it was one of those things where you would go, you might learn one or two things, but a lot of it was like clinic talk. And then you would always leave with a hangover. So I'd rather, <laughs> I, I decided I'd rather spend my money on certifications and educational experiences than a hangover. I'll use that as my excuse for not going to conferences. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great way to get out of it and really get professional development done. But a lot of different angles, I guess, for certifications. So, you know, the NSCACSCS is still like the gold standard by a lot of strength coaches as far as what yep. we need for our uh I guess our profession, then there's USA Weightlifting, I did their sports performance coach one, and way back when I did their club coach level one certification, which okay. they don't even offer anymore. Um, I'm pretty sure now USA Weightlifting goes from the sports performance coach right into a level two coach if you start actually working with 
Olympic weightlifting athletes. Then there's the whole NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine. There's CES, PES, there's Fitness which Nutrition. Which you don't have to renew. So. Which you don't have to renew. Um, side note, actually, um, Dr. Michael Clark, if you guys know the name, he's the guy that kind of founded mm -hmm. NASM. He was actually a lacrosse graduate. Yep. Um, but he's no longer affiliated with NASM because of some shady practices from what I've heard. So Fun. He, well, uh, I guess we won't just, ask him for any money. No, I, I wouldn't ask him. He probably doesn't have any. There's something with <laughs> NFL athletes and stuff like that. Really nice guy. Really helped us out quite a bit early on with getting stuff set up at lacrosse. But um, that was just a side tangent. Yeah, that's And then other things like USA Track and Field Cross Country Coaches Association. They have like a strength conditioning certification that I got a few years ago. Didn't um, you have a big role in... Or a role in developing that? Yeah, you know. I remember you traveled down there. Yep, and so, like, initially when it was a pilot class, just because of my background in track and field and my position within strength conditioning, they asked if I can kind of review the course for them, and so it was kind of unique, and that was basically in retrospect to the new NCAA rules that went into effect in August, saying that all strength coaches must have uh, actual recognized certification, um, and so USA Track and Field... USA Track and Field Cross Country Coaches Association, they were looking to get their own specific track and field strength conditioning certification as one of the recognizable ones, which has not happened yet. But more or less, very similar to any other strength conditioning certifications where there's, you know, base programming, fundamentals, exercise physiology, biomechanics, and then it had kind of had like a, a small tweak in for track and field specifically. So I did that one. Um, nutrition stuff, a lot, a lot of that, I think it's like, all of us, like, you have a passion for nutrition just because you realize that 90% of the gains that you make in the weight room are really due to the nutrition and the recovery afterwards. And so I did my CISSN through International Society of Sports Nutrition. Um, I did Poliquin's Biosignature Certification. I did John Berardi's Precision Nutrition. The, the Poliquin ones? Yeah. There's only two for oh, Biosignature one. I've only done Module 1, and I wouldn't do Module 2. I saw Dan um, had Module 1 as well. So yeah, and, and realistically, it's it's really impractical, I think, at this level to utilize a lot of his methods just because it's all supplement-based and we have a lot of limitations in what we could actually sure. do here with them. And I think there's some fundamental problems with the certification overall because they tell you specific sites and specific tools that you have to use for the assessment, but when you actually get into the class, you're allowed to do it over pieces of clothing and you're just using spot instead of measurements. And so... You know, I think generally speaking, it makes sense, but you know, it's not as scientific as people would hope. Um, other things, so I did the, the John Berardi Precision Nutrition. Then NASM had like some fitness nutrition specialists, I've seen that one. and they just asked me if I would do it, so I would review it. And so those, and then from a massage therapy standpoint, licensed within the state as a massage therapist. Many years ago, I did the ART upper body, like two or three years ago, which yeah. is not renewed, so that one I can't even claim anymore. Um, and then so I can also, claim it, but I don't advertise it. Or, or you can you can put it on your resume, but you just yeah. can't say current. Right. Like, sure. I was certified and not currently certified. Sure. So you can kind of... And since you're not actually way. using it to make money, they're probably not going to Right. And then I also did the myofascial decompression Chinese cupping thing too which was awesome so that's I think everything that I can think of there's other track and field certifications that I have but not necessarily relevant to this so uh, a lot of money spent a lot of education learned but I've probably forgotten most of it so take it for what it's worth so what do you find that's uh, most useful or beneficial for you or is it just kind of a combination of a little bit of this and everything? from like a certification standpoint um, it's a little bit of everything, you know, I think holistically as a strength coach, you're expected to interact with so many different support staff groups, whether it's athletic training, sports medicine, the dietitians, the sports psychologists. So I think there's definitely some value in certifications and a broad stroke standpoint, just because it gets you more up to date with what's being talked about in those professions. Um, but overall, like I'm kind of slowly walked away from the certification Thing just because I've attained so much and haven't necessarily found a ton of relevance in any one, I guess you could say, outside of just having general content knowledge improved upon because possibly a lack of education going through my educational experiences. Learn everything, take from what you yeah. can, and then, you know, forget most of it. Yeah, they're a good starting point. Yeah. Sure. Definitely need to be modified. Mm -hmm. and some of them are old. Yeah. You know, the yeah. Of some of those well, USA Weightlifting is actually, uh, they've gone through a lot of restructures, and the latest one that they've done I've really liked because they've gone from the, we're teaching you how to coach Olympic weightlifters to we're teaching you how to teach people. 
And so mm-hmm. they've gone to more of a, a pedagogical standpoint instead of just like a learn by doing clinic. And so I think that was a, a big step for them because they've realized that a majority of people taking it are taking it to teach normal people and teach others how to teach it, not necessarily just coach Olympic weightlifters. So I think for them, they've done a really good job. And then I've, I'm not sure, I haven't really done any certifications in a while. So I don't know if like the CSCS, how how they've done with keeping up with the standards in our profession or... They came out with a new book. I got this last year that's incorporated a few of the newer training trends. Sure. But a lot of it was kind of regurgitated material from their older. Do you have that? I do. Um, And they've also made their exam. Is it that one over there? That black book? Or is it newer than that, actually? It should be their fourth edition. I got the third edition at my house, too, Mm -hmm. but... Is that the free one that we got from lacrosse? Probably. That we burned a bunch of them? <laughs> McGlenn! McGlenn would burn them all. <laughs> and now they've made the exam A, B, and C instead of A, B, C, and D. So oh, really? That's oh, really? a huge advantage. Up your chances for guessing. Yeah. That is my one oh, thing wow. is don't let your things lapse. You might need them. You know yeah. what? I've heard that before, and someone brought this to my attention the other day, I can't remember who it was, but they said they let their certification relapse because they didn't maintain the CEUs, but they did a cost assessment of it, and they said... It's actually cheaper to it's cheaper, retake the yeah, to retake yeah. the exam than paying for CEUs over like an eight-year stretch hmm. where you yeah. may not be actively using the certification. Right. Well, that's what I was looking to like renew it and like challenge it, and it was a $100 fee that was non-refundable, and then you had to go improve whatever CEUs I had missed over the last... Three to four years, and I was like, that's going to be such a pain. I'd rather yeah. just retake the test. Makes a lot so. of sense, yeah. Yeah. So what other ones are currently accepted then? CSCS? And the the CSCS, yeah, the CSCCA is the other one that's accepted. And, you know, both have their, their benefits and their drawbacks. I think the NSCA, CSCS is pretty broad in general standpoint. Like, athlete trainers, strength coaches, fitness professionals, a lot of those people are going to take it, where the CSCCA is kind of the old boys club, where it's really, you have to pay a lot of money, you have to sacrifice not nine months, but you don't necessarily need an educational degree in something relevant. So you can theoretically go get a degree in communications or Spanish, but if you're willing to pay the money and spend nine months of your life interning under somebody, you can theoretically get their, their test taken care of. And in talking to the CSCCA, they more or less use the NSCA Essentials textbook as one of their main references for their exam. So it's basically if you take the CSCS, you're probably guaranteed ability to take and pass that one. Interesting. Yeah. So what challenges have you seen uh, coming from D3 to D1? Really, I, I don't think any challenges. It's, it's you know, all the apprehension I had moving from Division three to Division one, like worrying about egos and the stress of the job, in the capacity I am working with, you know, Olympic-based sports and really good quality coaches and kids, I haven't really seen any of those things. The challenges are, I think, it's, it's being more specific to individual needs, where at lacrosse, when you have 350 athletes, it's really hard to, like, adapt training to individuals. Here, with only having 75 athletes, I can make it pretty specific to their individual needs based off of our athletic performance testing, their position, their year, and stuff like that. So the biggest challenge is just trying to be creative and retune my thinking as far as how I'm programming. But other than that, you know, the facility stuff is still a big schedule issue here. Like, we have, you know, four facilities that we train out of, but we're still running to issues with scheduling athletes and teams in here. Um, because everybody still needs to go to school from 9 until 3, regardless of what people think Division One athletes do go to school. Um, and, and so a lot of the challenges are the same, um, but not really anything new outside just trying to find creative ways to deal with issues here. And issues here are very similar to issues other places. They're just, you know, specific to what we're trying to attain with our teams here. So can you train them differently? Do you have just naturally more talented athletes coming in your door where you don't have to... Yeah. No, I mean, our athletes, the athletes I work with, both soccer and volleyball, are extremely talented in their sports, but not so much in the weight room. And so ultimately, we still have to look at their training age from like a weightlifting perspective, and we train them no different than we would a first year athlete at lacrosse. Just understand that there's very rudimentary movement patterns instilled in them. We still have to start with basic progressions and build up. Um, I think just because the nature of the athletes that we have here, they learn and adapt a lot faster. And so that learning curve is exponentially a little bit quicker than what it would maybe at the Division three level. Factored in with, I have more time to allocate each athlete. 
and there's you know better facilities and better equipment it allows possibly for quicker adaptations and quicker learning of those skills but I mean basically everybody still has to start from scratch and you, with having lesser athletes you, or fewer athletes you can make modifications and changes at a quicker rate because you're just there you see a lot more compared to running to football practice coming back going on in the road recruiting coming back and trying to spot check everything that your interns saw or your GA saw. What type, what type of testing do you do that pre? That yeah, so there's there's a whole battery of, of testing that I'll do. Um, and then also, like, we have our Badger Athletic Performance Lab where we have uh, a full-time professional who manages that. So same stuff that I would do at lacrosse. We would do a power clean variation, a squat variation, and a bench press variation. So, like, your standard, you know, strength-related exercises we do. Um, we still do a vertical jump, a standing long jump, two consecutive jumps, and three consecutive jumps. So jumping, power, uh, indices. Most sports will do like a 20 and a 40 yard sprint test. We'll do a pro agility for most of our sports. Um, so there's like some kind of agility base and speed based parameters. And then from our Badger athletic performance standpoint, they look at DEXA scans. So we DEXA scan our athletes about four times a year. Um, we'll do VO2 max on our soccer players, not necessarily our volleyball players. We'll do gait analysis on most of our athletes just because of the volume of training. Like if there is something wrong with their gait, eventually something will creep up. So like volleyball players probably don't need to do a gait analysis, but you can kind of pick out some of those idiosyncrasies as far as like, all right, well, if we're working on general conditioning or fitness and we're doing a, a big block of it, there may be overused things that pop up if we're not looking at that. And then we'll do, um, we have force plates, and so we'll do a vertical jump on bilateral force plates. We can look at power discrepancies from left to right. And then we'll also do a, a star excursion balance test. And we'll do the same thing on a, on a force platform looking left and right balance. And so I think those are all the, the tests that we do with our athletes. And so some of it is more performance-based in the weight room. Other things are more injury preventative, if that's a term you want to use, just assessing just general movement patterns and, you know, potential. That's what I was wondering. So you get all the results and it's up to you to do what you want with that information, whether it's just monitor progress or like set body comp goals. We need to yeah, ultimately at, at this level, it's never really just up to me. It's, you know, it's, it's more of a performance team approach. So it's the strength coach, the athletic trainers that maybe work with the respective programs, the dietitian, the sport coaches. And so it's always us for after we get done with those testing situations, looking at the results, never really jumping to conclusions as far as like, oh, this kid, he gained... 2% body fat, drop 2% lean muscle mass, let's jump at conclusions. Well, it's, it's more of a holistic approach, making sure from testing period to testing period the trends are trending up, not down. And then basically we sit down we try to allocate maybe one or two special needs that the athlete may have to work on from that next block of training. And so it's not like I sit down and I, it's the burden of me. It's, all right, well, from an athletic training standpoint, they're going to take some of that load on. If athletes have big discrepancies greater than, let's say, like 7 to 11% in any one of those factors, they may choose to work with that athlete specifically. If it's a smaller discrepancy and those are things that I feel I can work into my general training, well, that might be something I address on there. Um, the nutritional standpoint, we have obviously an awesome dietitian, and I just, I, I'm past the point of trying to manage all that, and so I rely heavily on him. We'll sit down, we'll look at people that may have body composition issues and how I can positively influence that from a training standpoint whether it's extra conditioning, whether it's different types of training parameters from a weightlifting standpoint. But ultimately, I, I think with body weight and body composition, especially if it's unfavorable, it's more about diet than it is training. It's about educating the athletes about the habits they may already have and how those habits may be leading to a lack, lack of success. And then also nutrient timing and making sure that they're appropriately fueling before and after training sessions to maximize those sessions when they are training. So it's, it's a very holistic approach, and it's it's been nice just because I haven't had to burden a majority of those responsibilities here. A lot of them are taken care of by our athletic training department and our sports nutrition department. So it's been really kind of refreshing just to be a really good strength coach instead of trying to be everything else that, you know, plus Joel. Yeah, so, <laughs> so has that new policy changed help the dietitian then with the... Yes know, and no. Um, the door for feeding support? I, I think ultimately it will. I think initially it's causing a lot of headaches at this level just because there's, there's more money, more budgets, more people with their hands in the pot. But ultimately I think holistically it ends up leading to better performances and better health trends for student athletes because we're, you know, what used to be breakfast, lunch, and dinner on their own, now we're showing them the appropriate things they can eat and developing those life skills so when they do get done being an athlete, they understand the types of food sources that we provide and how those are generally better for them. Um, and ultimately, I think our sports nutrition staff is grossly understaffed. We have two full-time people working with, 
you know, 800 student athletes. And so he's running around in a lot of different directions. And so I think just the division one departments notice that this is a need They invest the money in the product, but not necessarily the personnel quite yet. And so I think that'll take time for people to really advocate that we need more full-time professionals at this level because the food is good, but if athletes don't know what and when they should be eating, it's, it's the food's not going to be your answer to a lot of these problems. I noticed northern schools as a whole are a little behind the curve when it comes to sport nutrition. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, I, and ultimately, I think that's holistically <coughs> just athletic departments in general. Like if you start looking at the AC, SEC, maybe the Pac-12, their budgets are going to be bigger. There's going to be more money allocated to sports services, um, where up here there just isn't, yeah. or whatever it may be. But we still survive, I think. Yeah, Wisconsin's done okay. <laughs> yeah. Overall, they've had some success. They're going dancing this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. <clears throat> they more of a shuffle into it, but yeah. they're still there. They're still there. <laughs> I was doing the uh, bracket channels, like, oh, I don't know how many I'm punching them in for W's this year. <laughs> I don't know. Xavier in the second round isn't the worst draw. Yeah. It'll be tough. I got to win into it. Yeah? We'll see. <laughs> there you go. Uh, one of the ones I had is, you know, obviously with all the stuff you've done, like, do you have your go-to training systems, or is it very variable depending on the sport or this is because I spent more time lately with Dr. Wright yeah and hearing his opinion so yeah you know I think ultimately like your go-to training system should be the one that you develop you know I, I think too often within our profession we use the copy and paste methodology where you know I know a lot of guys who went down to LSU as grad students or as interns and they they took LSU's program they're like this is the answer LSU is really good and all they do is they copy and paste it and so it doesn't necessarily always have the same impact at new schools because the, the people who do that don't understand the work that went into it. So I think any training system that you develop, you're going to holistically know a lot better and you're going to make modifications on the spot based off that knowledge of it. Um, you know, ultimately my training system has changed grossly compared to where I was 10 years ago to where I was even a year ago at lacrosse because it all, it all is like this holistic philosophy of, all right, well, it's just not me programming it. It's, it's basically you know, my head coaches, my assistant coaches, my sports medicine professionals, my dietitian, and myself. Oh, yeah, then you factor in the captains on the team, the seniors on the team. And so you, you basically get this, you know, large lump sum of information that you're trying to utilize your training system in, but you're grabbing all their information from these people to make it their training system. And so it's been fun because it's allowed me to be more creative and kind of expose myself to some deficiencies that I had that I never realized, like, Oh geez, I you know this coach is saying this thing. I've never really had to deal with that. Well, let's let's do some research. You know, like I've only really been a strength power type person. I've never really had to do much with aerobic conditioning. Or well, a women's soccer team, that's all they're about is fitness, fitness, fitness. And that was a big gap in my education, my experience. And so this fall and even into the spring, it's really pushed me to learn more about aerobic conditioning fitness development and things like that. So it's been, you know, both rewarding and challenging. You know, I think ultimately this is a, a Buddy Morris quote, 90% of what I do is already set in stone. From the day I walked in this building, I philosophically I knew what I was going to do, but I spend 90% of my current time trying to figure out the other 10%. The, the, the problems that I have, the solutions I'm looking for from the coaches, from the athletes, from, you know, my colleagues, that's where I spend all, all my time. The way I program, the exercise selection, the progressions, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I'm going to do, but that's, you know, just part of it. The other, you know, 10%, that's where I invest a lot of my time in trying to figure out. But it's a moving target, too, every year. Always, always. It's, you know, it's, we're, and it, it sucks because the majority of the sports I've been working with, there's always been constant turnover from a strength and standpoint. And so anytime you take over for a new team, you have to start from scratch. You can't just assume the person you're taking over for did things the quote-unquote right way. And so, you know, it's, it's basically been a lot of up and down, not necessarily like linear progressions. Like people don't necessarily get better from year to year just because, of, you know, there's constant change. And then with that constant change, a lot of times you're like, it's like a sinking ship. You plug one hole, then another one opens up, then yeah. another one opens up. And maybe that's what it's like to train elite-level athletes is you're just patching in those gaps where there's performance decrements. Um, but holistically, you think you could have like a, you know, a pretty decent quadrilineal program especially for our Olympic sport athletes. It's not like football, it's not like basketball, it's not like hockey or baseball. We're gonna lose kids after two years. I'm pretty much so guaranteed that I'm gonna have my kids for four years. So there should be some progression and development over a four year period where we're not necessarily just throwing you know crap on the wall and seeing what sticks or filling in those gaps. We should understand the trends coming in with the new class 
from the performance testing to my testing and then have progressions built in over four years to help them get to an elite level status by the time they leave this place. And, you know, you say that, a lot of coaches are like, well, I don't want elite level status when they're seniors. I want that freshman, sophomore, junior, senior years. But ultimately, that's what a good progression gives you is they're going to be at their best at the time that they need to be the best for that progression. Um, you, can't, you can't necessarily train an 18-year-old the same way you want to train a 22-year-old. And, you know, what we don't want to do is we don't want to look at, you know, what you know, elite level soccer players are doing at the professional level and say, well, we got to do what they did. We have to go back in time and look at what they were doing when they were in college and see if that helps us solve our problems. There was a one video I watched and the guy's like, you can't train your freshman the same as your senior because either you've got a really good freshman or you haven't done anything with your senior. There's got to be some sort of build up through it. Now, they might get plugged in at different areas, right. but... And I think ultimately that's it. Like, regardless of who's Jimmy walk into, there's going to be a lot of overlap, I think, between sports, between genders, between, you know, what class they are and how long they've been training. But it's those small, minute things that nobody can really pick up. Those are the differences. It's, it's coaching cues. It's small variations in intensities and reps and superseted exercises. And, and so you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, you're doing a lot of stuff. Well, that, yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff, but I'm also doing a lot of things to improve team dynamics. Um, when you start getting too individual-based, especially with team sports, you lose that culture in the weight room. If everybody's kind of doing their own thing, then you're basically just personal training athletes. You're not developing a culture and a good group dynamic, which is needed for those sports. And so I think there needs to be a good balance between training a team and then training training individuals. So what have you seen with uh, going more aerobic from traditional core strength? What, what are some things you've learned, I guess, comparing the two? You know, I think one of the biggest things that I didn't have a good experience with was just the use of like heart rate monitors and really understanding, all right, well, we're going to do VO2 testing. And here's you know, here's our heart rate at VT, here's our heart rate at VO2 max, and how can we play around with those different types of numbers to elicit a good training response to get our girls to improve their VT, uh, their, you know, their VT threshold getting closer to their VO2 max. And so I've had to rely heavily on my interns because they just seem to be more adapt to that because with all the MMA stuff coming out, that's a huge component of what these guys are just naturally digging into is just that mixed martial arts um, concept. I think Joel Jameson's book we refer to quite a bit mm -hmm. is MMA conditioning. And so it's just, you know, trying to find unique ways how to train energy systems but still keep it fresh. It's no different than I think the progressions that we use in a weight room. There needs to be progressions from a conditioning standpoint. It still needs to be fun. You still need to challenge athletes, but it's just a, a completely different animal in the sense that you're developing the aerobic base um, versus the anaerobic base. And, you know, I think for a lot of strength power, people like myself, we rely heavily on, like, on interval sprinting. Like, yeah, it's like the cat's ass. We're going to run really hard for X amount of time, then we're going to rest for X amount of time. And the more you realize, people just still need a really strong aerobic base to be able to recover from those high-intensity intervals. And, you know, I think too often we're apt to jump to, like, Tabata training or high-intensity training where we haven't spent any time developing any type of aerobic base increasing their mitochondrial density, increasing their capillarization. Like, those things will happen with high intensity into body training, but it's such a shock to the system. I think if you progress longer with aerobic training as is, you can do better, purpose, more purposeful high intensity into body type training later on. And, you know, the creativity is hard. Like, I, I have a lot of fun looking at a mile, like 17,080 yards, and trying to find unique ways to train our ladies. Like, I have probably, like, 100 different workouts that are all a mile in distance, like, volume-wise, but different work, different rest, different movement patterns, different concepts from a training standpoint, mentality-wise. And so it's been really fun to kind of, like, play around with that. So you've mentioned some of the girls who failed their fitness test. What do you guys do for that? Do you do like a pacing test? Uh, so basically for our women's soccer program, they're the only ones that really have a high uh, interest in fitness, I guess you could say. And that's just a coaching perspective and philosophy. And so they use the yo-yo repeat intermittent sprint test. And So basically we have one level set for our girls, and all the girls have to attain this, whether they're goalies or they're defenders or they're you know, midfielders. Um, they all have to attain a specific level, and if they don't get to that level, then they're not allowed to touch a ball. And so more or less I have four girls right now out of about 24 that have still yet to practice with the team because they haven't passed yet. And so, you know, we, we have scoured the earth trying to find gaps in performance, whether it is the aerobic base, maybe it's muscular endurance, maybe it's eccentric strength because in the yo-yo, the yo-yo, there's a lot of cutting. So like, all right, well, let's see if we can get them more eccentrically stronger so they can handle the, the cuts a little bit more efficiently. It's not so taxing. 
And, you know, we're actually testing two of them today, VO2 max, to see if there's actually been any type of physiological adaptation to it or if it's just a psychological thing and they're just so freaked out. We have one girl that hasn't passed yet. Her resting heart rate before we start training is like 148. Holy crap. I mean, oh. she, we've gotten her heart rate up to just during training up to like, I want to say 213, 214. And so, like, I mean, she's like a gerbil. Like, she is, like, on all the time. But she's one of our fastest, most explosive athletes. She just doesn't have the aerobic fitness to pass the test. And so sometimes with athletes wow. like that, you're trying to fit a square peg through a round hole. Right. But ultimately, whatever your sport coach tells you to do, you do. If she wants her to pass the test, well, we're going to try to find a way to pass that test. And so a majority of the stuff we do is, is, is trying to, you know, work at or slightly above our heart rate at our ventilatory threshold and that kind of like gray zone before they start to bonk out before there's a huge accumulation of lactic acid. Um, then we do a lot of like high resistance uh, like uh, bike work, like basically trying to improve, uh, I guess, muscular endurance. And we do a lot of like heavy, like we'll put like inclines of anywhere between 20 and 30 degrees, put a weight vest on them and basically just have them walk without any type of lockout because mm -hmm. we're just trying to increase the, the blood pooling in the tissue so you get a huge hormonal response. And so we, we're trying to like, again, it's like plugging holes in a sinking ship, trying to find what these individuals are going to respond to that's going to help them pass that test. So what are their VO2 max values at on average? Uh, 50? Yeah, 50s to maybe low 60s. Um, okay. So none, none of them are stellar. We have two or three girls that play with like national teams, and their numbers should be higher, but we never test them out just because they're always training with the national teams. Like I have one girl that's been gone now for six weeks during the spring because she was playing with the women's national team, like the U23 team, and then also with the actual full national team. So wow. she's gone all the time, and she's like, well, my fitness is going down, my strength is going down. It's like, yeah, because all you do is you practice and you play. And at some point, you have to remove yourself from that position and just train to get stronger. But she's chasing a dream, and I can't blame her. No, yeah, definitely for, sure. for those opportunities. One of the random ones I had on here, just because we always talked about books all the time, is best one you've read lately. Yeah. And best one of all time. See, you know, it's it's tough because a best maybe not be the the best word for it. Like my favorite book. Favorite of all book. Time. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, it can be with anything. I don't yeah. even care if it's related. You work. I loved hearing what you were reading. It's it's really interesting because I, I went out. Yeah, yeah, the one time we hung out for breakfast, what were you reading? Something on like dentistry or something? Yeah, holistic oh, dentistry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. never knew what kind of response no. you were going to get. It was interesting because I went out to, I went out for drinks last week Tuesday with some friends. Uh, one guy was in town from South Dakota. He's a football coach. And we're out with him, some of his friends, and one of the girls mentioned she was in a book club. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. What kind of stuff do you read? And she's like, well, mainly like, you know, fiction type stuff and, you know, romantic novels. I'm like, awesome. Yeah, I'm like, awesome. That's great. She's like, well, do you read? I go, yeah. And she's like, well, what kind of stuff do you read? I'm like, I really don't even know how yeah. to categorize yeah, that it. Is a really, I mean, yeah. anything from strength training to, you know, the, the psychological, cognitive aspect to holistic books, it's just, it, it's so wide. I don't really think I have one specific area I read. My favorite book that I've ever read, and it's the only book I've ever read multiple times, was Bill Romanowski's book. Um, oh, it's, it's on wow. the bookshelf up there. I don't even yeah. know what it's called. It's, I think it's called Bill oh. Romanowski. Living Dreams and Slaying Dragons. Um, that would make sense. And, and so it was a book that I just, I really connected with just because he was very much so like I was when I was like going through like the, the intercollegiate athletic, you know, system. And it was, I was maybe, you know, I was maybe a C from an athletic standpoint, B from like a, an understanding the sports standpoint, but from a work ethic standpoint, like I felt like I was an A. Yeah. And like <clears throat> everything he did really justified the stuff I did from a training standpoint, from nutrition from massage therapy, like, he was about, you know, 10 years ahead of everybody else in his practices. Um, it's interesting because, like, when he was training with the Raiders, he would actually bring in massage therapists and ART specialists to live with him, and then he would basically sh share that stuff with his teammates. And so he would pay out of pocket for this guy to work on his teammates. And so that's by far my, my favorite book that I've ever read because it just really connects with my mindset. Um, the I remember him, the stories of him, like, carrying around like, a tackle box. Yeah. Yeah. Of his supplements. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like, a, it was a legit tackle box with just, just all the different stuff that he would take throughout the day. And then he would carry like <laughs> a water purifier mm -hmm. and purify the purified water. Yeah. Wow. I think that was insane. And he, I think he was one of the first ones he would get like his jersey almost like stitched to him yep. so the guys could hold it. They put that. Vaseline on it. Yeah, it was, tape it in. yeah, it was so tight that... It just gave him that little extra edge. I mean, he's like, I've always talked to my dentist about that. Like, he actually went so far to get all of his mercury uh, fillings removed because of lead poisoning, um, or not lead poisoning, mercury poisoning. 
and you know he would do like all these like ancient Chinese like holistic remedies and stuff like that and swore by him so it got me really interested in that and then what's the other one my the, the best one I've recently read yeah our best one yeah. um, it's, it's actually on that history. shelf it, it, it's another kind of out there it's called PEMF so Pulsed Electromagnetic Field Therapies okay. um, The Fifth Element of Healing by Bryant Myers and again it's this holistic healthcare idea it's like a lot of that stuff hasn't necessarily been clinically proven by science, but I think holistically it works. And so the book kind of goes into quantum physics and quantum theory, which way over my head. But it's it, interesting, it, very interesting stuff, like blows your mind. You're like, what? I could really be here and somewhere else at the same time. It's and like on Interstellar. Yeah, it it's exactly, exactly how it is. And it just talks about how like the Earth has a, like a geo-electromagnetic field and how the sun produces an electromagnetic field and everything that we do basically causes electromagnetic smog. And our bodies have developed over, you know, eons to basically be immersed in that environment and that when we remove ourselves from that environment, it basically denatures ourselves and makes us less efficient. Now it's just a really interesting book. If you're looking for something to blow your mind, it's, it's a really easy read to go back and put that one on. I see yeah. you still got your blue light. Yep. Well, you still have not taken them out of the SPC yeah. and lacrosse. People still <laughs> ask about them. Well, it was so. funny because, you know, I was listening to the podcast that got me interested in Bulletproof Radio. And then the guy that does that podcast, he just recently did one with a German uh, guy that does light therapy. But he was saying that blue light by itself without the, the, the thermal uh, benefit of UVB rays actually is bad for you. Because it causes cellular stress without the benefit of the heat, which increases cellular strength. So I don't know if I'm actually making athletes and myself worse without having UVBs, but it makes Stand me feel happy in the mornings. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find and out. And you probably still won't notice. Yeah. <laughs> so they have apps you can download on your phone that I believe filters mm -hmm. it or removes it. F.Lux is what yeah, it's Yeah, F.Lux. I recommend that to all our concussion kids to try and yeah. take some of that away if they still got to keep going with stuff but to take it off your screen i actually went and bought the little glasses that just have a orange tint to it yeah. to them or a orange is the right one it's something amber? like that amber yeah yep. and it takes that away so i went anytime i'm sitting on my computer editing late at night i'll keep the room dim but then i'll do that and it helps absolutely so what else we got interesting stuff any other questions you guys have or you want to just jump got, into the i got others but that take us all week. Yeah. For another day, when, when we can get them back, we should do an on location at Nutbush. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah, did you miss Nutbush? That lady, yeah. 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 I saw her the other week. I was in town, uh, and she still remembered me. Remembers you order. We went yeah. out there the other day, just this past one, and we had the old lady. Yeah. The one that looked like she smokes a couple packs a day. Yeah. She must have forgot to put our order in. We were there for an hour and 15 minutes. Oh, no. Our food was so hot when it came out, yeah. but she like wouldn't admit that she forgot. Sure. She just, oh, it'll be soon. It'll be soon. And there's like people that came in after us already wow. leaving. <laughs> <laughs> Did this right before spring break? Yeah, just like, company. yeah something like that. But all right, well then our basic questions. Well, the first one is, what well, is something that you would believe in that others may not? And maybe it is quantum physics. Yeah. Um. I think the biggest thing, especially within this profession, there's a lot of people that are strength coaches that think that our jobs are of the utmost importance, that we're, you know, it's, it is by far the most important profession out there in like strength conditioning, specific sets, reps, philosophies, training methodologies, it's, it's either life or death and people spend hours agonizing over numbers and exercise progressions and whether or not kids are improving and I think the biggest thing that I believe in that most people don't is that our jobs really don't matter. Um, you know, it's not as specific or as important as we think, you know. A lot of times we talk to our athletes about this idea of, like, the other 21 hours. That's what's important. It's not the one hour you see me three to five days a week of training. It's the other 21 hours. And so, you know, like, I think our jobs are important, but they're not as important. I think hard work and effort are way more important than science and having good progressions and numbers. That's probably the biggest thing that I... I think we're seeing a lot more of that with all the athlete monitoring research that's going yeah. on. It's like, how much did you sleep last night? Right. Was it good sleep? You know, did you eat breakfast? It's like yeah. just little things like that are probably yeah. making more of a difference than Absolutely. how your workout was. And I, like, I think, you know, ultimately, like, our jobs become extremely important because we provide messages to our athletes. And so, like, I was training our women's soccer team the other day, and you know, I, I literally got really mad at him and some really nice, not nice things to him and made him work really hard. I started like playing mental games with them and 
you know, telling this girl to go run next to that girl so that girl will work harder. Then I told another girl that if she didn't beat that girl, she was going to have five burpees every time she lost, right? And it's, you know, you know, the reason why I love my job is because of the relationships I form with my coworkers, my athletes. Those are, that's the reason why we do what we do. It's not the salary. It's not the title. It's not because you get a be at games on the sidelines or travel or anything like that. It's, it's the relationships that you build. The second thing is by far like the creativity, like being able to look at a mile, 5,280 feet, and see how many different ways I can kick my athlete's ass with just that number. So that's that's really fun. And the third, third part is this, there's always these like teachable moments that we have as like coaches and practitioners that we educate our athletes about the importance of these concepts and how it's going to impact sports performance and you know development from a physical standpoint. But a lot of times those messages are things that we impart to them that make them better people when they get out into the real world. And so, you know, at the Division One level, we have, like, different times allocated to us. So we have, like, an eight-hour period of time that we can work with our athletes, then a 20-hour period of time that we can work with our athletes. And for all my teams starting today, we transition into the 20 hours, which would technically be, like, their non-traditional uh -huh. season where there's practices and competitions and stuff like that. But realistically, when you think about it, eight hours a week is about 5% of their total time. And then 20 hours a week is about 12% of their total time, right? And so they see us as coaches, professionals, athletic trainers, stuff like that, maybe between 5 to 12% of their total time any given week. And so the message that we really send to our athletes, like when you see us for that small period of time, are you giving 90% effort or 110% effort? Are you giving 110% effort or 120% effort? You know, it's like, what are you doing with that time? Are you being mindful and purposeful with it? Or are you just trying to get through it? Because as coaches, we only see them as a sliver of time, right? And what are you trying to impress on us? What are you trying to do during that period of time? And, you know, that's by far the biggest thing that we do is set those messages up and really start getting them to think about, you know, holistically, what am I doing here? How, how much better do I want to get? I kind of went on a tangent there. Oh, no, you're good. The Trump, good. Trumpman moment. Yeah. <laughs> Trump, we're not even getting anywhere close to a Trumpman moment. I had to cut him off when he tried to explain uh, eccentric or overload eccentrics or his other one because we spent a good 20 minutes on the ARP. And He's going to sound way smarter than me. Though. Uh, 20 minutes on the 1 by 20. But um, most influential fitness, loosely defined purchase under 100 bucks or in that ballpark? Yeah, you know, I think if this is for general population people, I think Whatever the best investment be. you could do is find somebody out there in, in the community that's going to help you realize what you need to do. Um, you know, you can spend $100 and buy a heart rate monitor, or you can spend $100 and buy a new pair of shoes, but ultimately you need somebody from a professional standpoint to lead you. I think if you are a professional within our, you know, within this circle of allied health or what have you, the best hundred bucks you can spend is buy books, buy re resources, go to clinics, things like that, learn. You know, I think the technology stuff, the more we learn about, the more we realize it's not as good as we think it is. Like we've played with heart rate monitors, we're, we're investigating getting the catapult system, and both those come with big heavy price tags. But when you look at all the research and you talk to experts doing RPEs, training loads, strain monotony, it's probably the, the most accurate way of doing it without having to pay that stuff. And so ultimately, I think if you're going to invest 100 bucks, buy a bunch of books, go attend a clinic, go give somebody 100 bucks to go learn what they know rather than, you know, buy a piece of equipment that you might throw away in three years or the battery may die and you might not be able to use it. Or you fill up and you can't record anything anymore. Yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Or somehow minimize the program, which apparently turns the mic off because, yeah. <laughs> Learning curve. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. We could have bought a book about it. We should have paid someone $100. Podcasting for dummies? There's probably a book for it. There probably is. No, Lord knows I looked it on blogs. Um, anyway, the last one then is, you know, what information would you tell yourself in either your training and or your education if you could go back 10 years, give or take? It's tough. You know, I think from like an educational standpoint, like I really enjoyed that I'm pretty well-rounded in a lot of different areas, but the realization when I got here was that I was a master of none. Like, I was talking to the other strength coaches that had only been full-time strength coaches for 10 or 15 years, and they are like, throwing concepts out there that I've never heard about. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that, but I can tell you how to break down, like, a 3-4 defense and how to run special teams coverages. And so, you know, I think the biggest advice that I tell myself is find something that you really, really want to be good at and be awesome at it. Don't be average at everything. And then uh, from a training standpoint, same thing, you know. Nothing matters, but everything matters, and the only thing that really matters, in my opinion, is hard work and effort, and there's going to be compliance and consistency with our athletes, and don't spend so much time slaving over the numbers and the progressions, it's just get kids to train really hard for you. Um, it's, it's, it's a mentality thing, you know. I, like, 
big mentality differences between like my soccer programs and my volleyball program. Obviously, everybody knows volleyball is extremely successful here. Mm -hmm. um, soccer programs, I tell them to do something really crazy. Their response is, what? You want us to do, huh? And they, there's a self-doubt with it. Um, so volleyball, like every week we do like testing. Like we do like jumps almost every day. We'll do like Monday's a vertical jump, Tuesday's staying long, Thursday is two jump, and then Friday's three jumps. And so I have a general idea as far as, you know, where they jump in between each of the jumps. And so what I did is I took marbles and I put them down in the gray area. So I'm like, all right, well, here's what we're going to do today is you have to hit these specific landmarks. Otherwise, you're going to get injured. And so all the volleyball girls, they line up, they get ready to jump. I had to stop them, right? It's this idea of whatever I say, they're like, we got this. And so, you know, it's like nothing really matters, just hard work. And those girls are going to do substantially better than others if they don't have that power of belief that they can do anything. I like that. Awesome. I'm pretty sure the yeah. volleyball coach would have fired my ass. Oh yeah, had somebody got had hurt. a couple of turned ankles. Or, yeah, yeah. But it's it's the. I was okay. really looking forward to hearing the yeah. end of that story. Like they cleared it, everybody no, survived. No, it was it was like all right. Well, everything I tell them to do, they got this mentality of I got this. Where a lot of athletes have the mentality of what you want me to do? What? No, I, uncertainty. That, that sounds familiar with some yeah, of the ones we work with. Yeah. And you know, always a lot questioning. Of, some of the athletes I work with, they got this mentality because they play with national teams and they've been trained by some of the best people out there of, like, I already got it made. You know, what I'm doing is already set in stone. You're not going to help me a lot. And, like, our volleyball program here, like, everything I tell them, they're on it, like, white on rice. They stick to it. They understand it. Nice. They're reading it. Where other programs and other athletes are like, no, nah, I think I'm just going to do it my way because I know it's going to work for me. And it's like, well, it might for a while, but not always. Sure. Have an open mind. Yeah, For absolutely. Sure. You know, it's the old adage, what got you here today won't get you there tomorrow. You're full of good ones. <laughs> good thing we've got that recorded, yeah. Well, definitely. I do, you know, you literally say that every year to the same group of kids. The group just changes. It's yeah. like being a yeah, teacher. Everybody true. thinks you're really smart, but you're just spinning <laughs> you off the same, same shit right. every Yeah, day. you got to memorize. Well, I did that part out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kids are always dumb when they come in, too, so they just think you're, you're just like the cat's ass. I don't know. They're getting... <laughs> Sharper and sharper. Making <laughs> your job harder Google and harder. It. Well, it's, yeah, it's yeah. technology. Google being, told me that. Well, not only that, but like you know, podcasts and blogs that mm -hmm. are getting some of this quality information into their hands a lot quicker. Than Everybody's an expert. That might have been one of my favorite ones of lines from uh, Sam Jorgensen's episode is, you know, whatever you type into Google, wherever question you ask it, you're right. Yeah, like yeah. you'll find something somewhere that says you're right, because <laughs> there's just somebody out there that thinks the exact same way. Yeah, so that's funny. But yeah, I thought that was yeah, that was a good line. So cool. Cool. Anything else? What's next for you? Is this it for twenty years? What's you next? Any, for me? Do you have any other goals? Professionally? Yeah. No, just doing a lot of championships. Around a lot the last couple of years. So you, uh, were, you know, you know I would say and... I hopped around a lot. You know, it's well, you it, were going to be in Australia. Yeah, it's, it's and then been it was like, North Carolina or something. Tennessee. And then Tennessee, that's yeah. right. And then it was Beloit. <laughs> Everything is really about you know. Ultimately, I guess if I was going to go back and tell myself something ten years ago, it's it's you know prioritize life over work because at the end of the day, you retire from work, you don't retire from life. And so many people within our profession think that the things that work are going to get you to a good place from a life standpoint. It doesn't work like that. And so, like, what I was really searching for, and I think what a lot of people should be, be searching for, is that job that gives you balance. The one that you can, you know, work at and enjoy, but not really love. Like, you'd rather love your family, love what you do outside of work. And, you know, if you love coaching strength and conditioning, we'll do it for free on the side. Don't feel like you have to work 80 hours a week here and do it. But ultimately, I, I think the balance that I have here the salary that I get, the benefits I get, it's, it's going to keep me here for a long way. It would take something, you know, north of six figures to get me to, to move again. And I don't think Whitman's calling. And No? <laughs> not you yet. You want to go to Illinois? Not yet. No, just nothing down there. I don't think I want to live in Champaign. That's what everybody says. So, well, but, I hope you stay here. It's nice to have our students yeah. go to a quality internship. Yeah. For sure. It's, for it's sure. great here. I mean, like I said, the, the, the administration supports us. The coaches are awesome people, and they, they get what I'm looking for from a work-life balance standpoint. The athletes work hard. You know, the biggest, I know one of the questions that you put on there, the biggest difference between Division Three and Division One, is everybody at Division One has a job they want. Uh -huh. Division Three, you know, I was doing strength and football. Um, you know, you have track coaches that are track coaches and facilities guys. For sure. Everybody here, from the facilities guys, the custodians, the equipment manager, that's the job they want. 
And so they come with energy and passion about what they're doing every day. And you know, it's it's not it's not necessarily the, the coaching schemes or the technology or the equipment that we have. It's just the, the mentality of everybody's doing exactly what they want to be doing here. That's the big, di- biggest difference. That's what Katie asked when she came down yeah, to sense. interview for her uh, you know, intern spot was what the biggest difference is. It's just everybody's happy here for the most part. You know, don't get me wrong. You know, there are tough times and good times, but ultimately people are doing what they want to do for from sure. a professional standpoint. So there's good long-term, I guess, sustainability here. Stability. Yeah. 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 So I'll be here for a while. Good. Unless cool. I get fired for some reason. Scott Walker shut this all Yeah. Yeah. We'll edit we're that kind of, part yeah. out. Surprisingly, we're kind of immune to a lot of stuff here. I mean, yeah. we well, thankfully, you got the, yeah, the, yeah, the athletics department. Yeah. Yeah. You go down, we all can put it Yeah, the flagship. <laughs> cool. For sure. Well, call awesome. that a wrap. Yeah. Thank you, sir. That was Thank great. Appreciate it. Yeah, I don't know if there was a ton of content in there. So You're so good at wisdom. wisdom. Oh, yeah. No, people will love that. Why stuff, is behind my A lot of good hashtag moments in there.